today we're going to talk about that you are empowered to change, empowered to change. And of course, I want to um, focus today on what it is about, you know, when we're saved, what does God do in us? Because before anything can have an effect outside of us, God does something on the inside of us. You know, things work. You know that song, Jesus on the inside, working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. You know, it's got to work from the inside to the outside, right? It doesn't happen from the outside to the inside. Too many people think, well, I can't come to church. I'm not all cleaned up yet. They're trying to do the opposite. They're trying to get cleaned up on the outside before they come in and get cleaned up on the inside. But it doesn't work that way. It, the, what comes out in your actions is what is on the inside of you and only God can change that so let's uh, start off this morning I want you to turn to uh, John chapter 3 and before we get into the word I just want you to as, as you've found your spot stop for a moment and I want you to even ask the Lord this morning, Father, change me, change me, and show me areas that I need to change in, that I need to continue to change in. So we're going to take uh, a moment here and just pray to God that our hearts will be humble and sensitive to his Holy Spirit this morning because that's everything about accepting the challenge this year, right? That's how we accept the challenge is accepting what the Holy Spirit wants to do in each one of us individually. So, Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you, Father, that you have given us your word to change us, to mold us, to grow us. Lord, that we don't stay the same, but you have given us the power to change. You've told us in Acts that, that we will receive the Holy Spirit and when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, it gives us power to change. It gives us power to overflow. It gives us power to have an impact on this earth. So I pray, Father, that first and foremost, we stay in a position where our heart is changed for you, that our heart is always being molded by you, that we never walk away from that, that our first love is you, Lord, that we don't uh, go out and, and try to do works without having you as the very center of our life, leading us and guiding us. So we pray this morning we will be sensitive to your Holy Spirit to change in our individual lives, that we're not looking to the right or to the left of who else needs to change, but we're looking dead center at our own heart and asking you, put, a, put your thumbprint on us this morning, Lord. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Well, we know uh, the scripture in 2 Corinthians 5.17, you don't have to turn there, but 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that God uh, gives, we become a new creature in him. We become new creature in Christ, right? That the old is gone and the new has come. If anyone be in Christ, they're a new creature. They are a new creation. And of course, that means that you're no longer the same. You're no longer the same. So I'm going to give you three points this morning about empowered to change. And the first one is I am not the same. I am not the same. So if you're taking notes, that would be the first one. I am not the same. In fact, you can even say I'm new and improved. 
You know, the, the thing that always oh, new. this is new and improved. This product is new and improved. You know, the, this isn't like the old one. This one's new and improved. Well, you're not even the same as the old you. And I know that, you know, the same thing that I just talked about a little bit ago, we think, you know, we look at the outside and we're expecting change on the outside on things, but God looks at our heart and he changes us from the inside out. So even when we get saved, it's our spiritual person that's changed. And as our spirit, our, as our spirit and our inner man is changed, it comes to the outside. It shows fruit on the outside of our life. So even though we don't, we don't look different in the mirror, we can see ourselves in the mirror, but we're not changed ourselves on the outside. But he says that we're a new creature. That's why this has to uh, walk this out in faith. You have to walk this out in faith because you have to believe I am changed. I don't look different, but I am changed. I'm a new creature. And that's why some people have a hard time receiving salvation because they, oh, I don't feel anything. Well, I don't feel changed. I don't feel different. It's not about feeling. It's about believing. It's about knowing what God has done. And there's a revelation that happens when you get this in your life, that I'm a new creature. I'm a new creation. It's just like that, that whole concept of the butterfly. I believe God gave us the caterpillar and the butterfly, that whole transformation for this very reason alone. Because it's the only creature that I can think of that, that has that magnitude of a change where it doesn't even look. I mean, caterpillars are gross. I used to play with them when I was little, you know, those uh, black and you know the black and brown ones you, yeah the furry ones that, that don't sting and, and you pick them up and they roll up but the thing is caterpillars or even the ones without fur they're even grosser more gross right they're like squishy and but they, they turn into this beautiful butterfly and you know the butterfly is light and it's feathery and it doesn't even look like it's the same creature and it goes through this whole change uh this metamorphosis in a in a cocoon in the chrysalis you know and it changes into this this creature that it doesn't even look like and that's i believe what god does on the inside of us there's a change it's like this shell is like a chrysalis you know, it hangs out here on this earth, but on the inside, there's a changing that's going on. There's something that's happening. So if you're in John 3, uh, I'm going to start at verse 1. It says, there was a, a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform miraculous signs that you're doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he be born again. Born again. Well, how can a man be born again when he's old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born. You know, that would be probably the question we'd ask. If you got to remember, born again was a term that, yes, we're familiar with it today. But this was a brand new idea. Jesus was saying, unless a man be born again. And can you imagine the face of a Pharisee who knows the word, knows the scripture, and he's going, uh, what? Born again? How can you enter into your mom's womb again and be born again as a full man? Jesus, this teaching's a little out there. It's a little crazy, Jesus, don't you think? You're teaching a whole new thing here. But Jesus goes on and he says, he says, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Water is the representation of the word. 
the word, unless he's born of the word and of the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So this idea, I'm going to walk through a little bit of this. This idea of being born again, you know what that actually means in the original language? It means that you are born from above. You are born from above. That means you are like birthed out of heaven. You are born of heaven. So there is an actual uh, transformation that happens. When we receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, when we recognize him as Lord of our life, as the one that died on the cross and rose again from the dead, and that we receive him as Savior, as the one that, that washes away our sins, and the one that cleanses us, we are born again. We are born of heaven. We receive into us, it says like the, the breath of God. It says the wind blows where it pleases but you can't you can't you can't tell where it's coming from you don't know where it's going you can't see it but guess what it says you can hear the sound of it the voice of it you can see the effects of it and it says so it is with the person that is born of the spirit what does that mean it means as we are born again guess what's supposed to happen you're supposed to begin to see the effects of what just happened in our life. We're begin, we're suppo you're supposed to see the effects of someone that begins to change. How many times have you seen a person that gets saved and it's almost like, man, it's not like they look different, but they look different. You know what I'm saying? Like there's something different in their eyes. It's like their eyes are bright. They didn't come, you know, they came in one way, but they leave looking different. They, they leave, you know, we've seen people sober up before. You know, they were influenced by drugs or alcohol or something. They get saved, and it's like, boom, it sobered them up. It's like they don't even look, really. I mean, yeah, they're still in the same clothes. But guess what happens a lot of times when they get saved? They, they get the dignity that God wants them to have again. And they're like, you know what? I don't need to look like that. I don't want to look like that anymore. I want to look different. And the next time they come in, they look in their best. They put on their best. You know, they, they don't look disheveled anymore. They come in with their hair brushed, or they want to look good. So God does a change, a transformation. It's not like they went home and started YouTubing, you know, uh, how to dress better, how to uh, comb my hair, how to do this, how to do that. They didn't do that. It's like something on the inside of them wants to be different and, and because you're to glorify God. So the very seed of change actually gets planted on the inside of you. So that's why I'm preaching about empowered to change because there's too many people that have the concept that, yeah, you know, I've received Jesus Christ, but it's such a far away distant idea. It's like this, yeah, I've received Jesus Christ, the person, but, uh, you know, what's it have to do with me? You know, it's like it doesn't impact or doesn't have an effect on the inner, the inner man. And it doesn't change me or, you know, someday I'll just get to see Jesus. You know, I've, I've accepted him. Yeah, he's the Lord and Savior of my life. But, you know, I, don't, I won't see him and I won't have a real, you know, real relationship with him until I go to heaven. But that's not what Jesus died for. 
He wants to start now with us. He wants to give us that empowerment to change our own life, to change. So he says we're a new creature. The, the spirit births the spirit. Spirit gives birth to the spirit. Now I want you to flip over to First uh, John. First John. And you know that the Bible in Ezekiel, it says that when we are actually born again, or it said uh, in Ezekiel, he was prophesying what was going to happen. And in Ezekiel 36, he said that he was going to give us a new heart, and he was going to put a new spirit in us. And, and then in, in uh, I believe it's in one of the Peters. I could be wrong on that. But he was going to write his word on our hearts. I think I'm wrong. It's not the Peters. It's one of the other ones. He's going to write his word on our heart. Our heart becomes the tablet. Instead of a tablet of stone, he writes his word on our heart. Well, what does that mean? It's on the inside of us where there's an actual pressing on the inside for us to want to do what is right, to do the, the change that God wants us to do. So if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creature. Now there's something on the inside of us that wants to do differently. It's our job, though, to make sure that we are very aware of that and not numb ourselves to it. Because we can be in, in faith for so long that we can come to a point where, where we kind of shut that off. Well, I've made it, kind of. You know, I've, I've, I've kind of hit that point where I've got all the bad sin out of my life, and, I've, I, you know, I'm here. But guess what? God doesn't ever say, congratulations, you finally made it. You, you finally, you're finally perfect. There is never a moment as we're walking this earth that he says, you have made it to the top. You don't need to change anymore. There's always change in our walk, always. First John, well, what does this change mean? First John, chapter 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is Christ, sorry, is the Christ, is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. I feel like I read that all wrong. Did I watch that up? I'm reading out of NIV. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God. He restates it again. To obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. His commands are not burdensome. You know, I think that people sometimes get to a point where commands are burdensome because they, they quit loving God. To, to uh, they quit their relationship with him because when you love someone you want to do you want to do for them you know think about it in a dating relationship what happens to, to the guy and the girl they're like doing everything for each other because they love each other right and it's like oh here no I don't care I don't care to go out of my way to do this oh no here I don't care you know and when you love God it's like you want to do for him because of why the relationship drives you to do it when there is no relationship, then you lose that loving feeling. You've lost that loving feeling. I think that's what uh, Revelation was, you know, the, the scripture, you've lost your first love. I think that the angels broke out into song right there for John. You've lost that loving feeling. Not to John, because John was the one writing it about the churches. But 
I think sometimes God could sing that to some people <laughs> to remind us that we need to go back to our first love, to our first actions, because we can get in, in this uh, rut sometimes of just going through the motions, that we have to remind ourselves not to get to that point, that we're always in a place of obeying his commands. It's not about, there's lots of people that say, oh, I love Jesus, but they're not obeying Jesus. They're not obeying his commandments. They're not even opening the, the, the rule book. They're not even opening the instruction manual to see what's supposed to happen and what I'm supposed to do. How can you love Jesus when you don't even get to know him? So we got to get to know him. We've got to get uh, an understanding of who our Lord and Savior is. Who is my king? Who is my master? What does he want done? And then on verse 18, it says, um, who has a King James, New King James, something like that other than what I've got. Um, what are you reading? <laughs> You're not even in the right spot. It went the wrong way. <laughs> You're in Peter. <laughs> Verse 18. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself. Keeps himself. It says whoever's been born of God keeps himself. Here you go. You can have back. Keeps himself. So that means we've got to keep ourselves. That word keep means to guard. Guard ourself. To keep yourself. Make sure that you keep yourself in the commands of God. Keep yourself in the things of God. Keep yourself guarded so that you're not straying outside of the things of God. It's not a matter of, well, if God wants me to do this, if God wants me to do that. It's keep yourself in the things of God. You have a responsibility over yourself to keep yourself. When we love God, we keep ourselves in him. Amen? You know, the level, uh, of our, the level of our love, the level that we love God is our level of obedience. Let that sink in for a minute. The level that we love God is the level of our obedience. How much we obey him shows how much we love him. You know, think about it. Those that, that have really sacrificed certain things in life, those that have really given more, given more of their heart, given more of their worship, given more of their time, given more of their energy, those that have found themselves crying out to God, Lord, and I'm not talking about just, you know, uh, just little things, you know, yeah, I, I go to church on Sunday. No, I'm talking about like striving after God. Like really, truly going after him. You know that, that there is a, uh, you see them differently as someone that just, you know, comes through the doors of the church once in a while. You understand what I'm saying? Like that you can tell a person that loves God. And I don't mean that someone that's here every single time the door is open necessarily is madly in love with God. They can be here but not necessarily be in love with God. They could be doing it out of a religious duty but not be in love with God because they're not spending time with him. What I'm talking about is relationship. What I'm talking about is spending time with him. You're getting to know him. He's talking to you. You're talking to him. You're allowing him to press things on your heart. And when he does, you, you do it. 
You allow him that, that moment of your life where, like the, where he talks about the potter's will. And, and you allow to, yourself to be on the potter's will. And when he gently molds, my mom does pottery. So this whole picture for me makes a lot of sense because she's allowed me to sit down at the potter's will before. And, and I've, I've done it and, and flopped everything. And then I've realized, like, there's not much pushing because when you, when you, if you push too much, it flops. It's just a very gentle, very gentle pressure. And when, and when you put your foot on the wheel and it starts going around and you keep your hand wet with the water, which is the word, you keep making sure that you're putting water, you're putting word on that vessel, putting word on that vessel and, and making sure, because if it dries, it starts sticking to your hand and it'll, it'll cause the whole thing to just come apart. So you gotta keep it moist. Water on the vessel, water on the vessel, and, and you get it going around in a good, a good motion and just a little bit of pressure, just a little bit, and it starts being molded and it's growing and then you, you form it. It's an amazing thing, but when I got the opportunity to do that, that whole idea of being molded on the potter's wheel made a lot of sense to me after that because God wants to give just a little bit of pressure. See, the world's greens. Do this, do that, do this, and we hear that. That's why we're supposed to be quiet, be still, and know that I am God. Because he's not out here screaming at us. He's on the inside giving a little bit of pressure. A little bit of pressure. Just a little bit so that we are molded by him. Because why it shouldn't take a jerk off of the saddle to get us to obey. Because that wouldn't be love. You understand what I'm saying? If, if, you know, because sometimes people want, want the Paul experience. Like, get me on this. People want the Paul experience. Well, God wants me to do this. Then he'll come down like Paul and, like, jerk me off my horse and set me in a different direction and cause me to be blind for three days so I'll get it. That's not, what, that's not the relationship that God desires. He's not wanting you to have to be jerked off the horse and be blinded for three days before you obey. And I don't want to be that kind of person where that's what he's got to do with me to get me to pay attention to something. We want to be easily molded, easily guided. All right. So loving God, loving God is the power of change, to change in your life. Loving God is the power to change in your life. If you've lost some of that, uh, you know, I've been stagnant and I haven't really been changing any, anything in my life. Because we can all get there. Every single one of us can get there if we've been serving God for some time. Understand. You, you go on this journey and you realize, man, why do things feel so dry? Why, why is it like I'm just feeling like there's dryness? Probably because you've gotten into the motion of things and it's stopped being real to you. And you've stopped the journey of loving him and of saying, God, what do you want to do? That's why a lot of people don't think the Christian walk is very uh, exciting. Because they've quit responding to the Holy Spirit. Because they tell you, if you're responding to the Holy Spirit, then there's always a challenge. Always. There's always a challenge in front of us. All right, so number one, you're not the same. You're new and improved. Number two, change is continuous and progressive. Continuous and progressive. And the reason I put both of them in there is because people can be constantly changing. 
I knew this guy once that was constantly changing his profession, constantly. One time it was this, and now he's going to sell this, and then he's going to be this, and then he was going to be, a, you know, a teacher, and then it was a banker, and then it was a salesman, and then it was this, and then it was that. I mean, it just, and, and now I'm going to be a musician. I'm, I mean, it was just all over the place. It was constantly changing. But change is not just continuous, but it's progressive, meaning it's always moving forward. Always moving forward, not, not horizontally. It's not just moving back and forward like a... What's those little characters? <laughs> you, you guys get me? The game thingies. It's got to go up. You got to go up some levels. No, the little guy. Like Donkey Kong. I don't know. All right, if you're not getting it, you must not have played it. You got to go up some levels. Quit going back and forth all the time. Mm. Be progressive, not just continuous. You know, as children... We don't expect a baby to stay a baby the whole time. We don't expect to be spoon-feeding our four-year-olds, right? We expect them to learn how to feed themselves, to walk themselves. That's, in fact, God puts it in them. That's part of their nature is that they want to start doing things themselves. They want to start growing. The problem is once they hit about the teenage age, there's this thing of independence that kicks in. Well, I already know, right? <laughs> They got to fight that rebelliousness of, of, I already know. I already know how to do it. So there's that, that fight to, to, that realizes, you know, there's still some wisdom out there that I don't have. But we got to keep that in us, that no matter what, there's still some wisdom out there we don't have. Somebody else could have figured something out that I haven't figured out. So we got to keep ourselves in a place of continuous but progressive change, continuous and progressive change. You know that, that the Bible, you know where it says to be perfect as I am perfect? You know, some people have a hard time with that scripture. How can God ask us to be perfect? How can he ask us to do something that's, that's impossible for us to do? But you, you know, when you look the scripture perfect up, the word perfect, do you know what it actually means? It means mature and it means developing into maturity through the spiritual journey, through your spiritual walk with God. Maturity. Now understand, God's only asking you to do certain things at this stage in life. He's not asking you to look like somebody else that's been a Christian for 50 years. And in fact, your situations are not the same as someone else's situations. There are some people that, that's had to weed other things out of their life because of where they've been that maybe some haven't had to weed out of their life because they grew up differently. Not everybody's situation is the same. So God deals with each person individually. So that's why it's always continuous and it's always, always moving forward. But that's why we can also say, be ye perfect as I am perfect, because really what he's saying is stay continually in a state of maturing. Be as mature as he's asking you to be at the moment of time that you're in. He's not asking you to, to be at a level that you can't be at or don't have an understanding of yet. Because there's levels, there's foundational levels, just like you can't do algebra if you haven't had second grade math. Well, there's things that, that you wouldn't be able to handle at this level if you haven't figured out at this level. 
So he's saying, be ye perfect as I am perfect, meaning be continually changing and on the continuous growth of maturity all your life, all your life. Don't change. Stay in that continually. In fact, I want to read to you out of Philippians real quick something that, that Paul said. Philippians 3. In chapter 10, not chapter 10, sorry, chapter 3 and verse 10. I went to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death because we die a daily death. Every day we have to put our flesh under. So that's what he's talking about. Every day we... we Pick up the cross to follow him. Daily we carry our cross. Becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Now listen to what he says. Not that I have already obtained this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. He says, I have not reached perfection. You know why? Because he was still on that journey. He was still alive. He was still on this earth. He was still pushing forward. He was still having to make changes. He wasn't dead yet in the physical sense. He was still making changes and pushing forward in his life. And he says, I haven't reached that state yet. I have not, I'm not standing here saying that I've obtained perfection, but I'm walking this perfection journey out. And he says, but, but, it says, look at it again. He says, I strive forward. I lost my place. I press forward. I press on to take hold of that, which Christ took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing that I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And verse 15, all of us who are mature should take such view of such things. All of us who are mature should take this view of pressing on, striving forward, forgetting what is behind. You know, I've talked before about if we're always looking at what's behind on what we messed up on this and that, we'll never go forward. So we need to, to always keep our mind and our eyes focused forward on the author and the finisher of our faith. If he's going to bring to completion that perfection in our life, then we have to be in a place of staying forward facing we can't look backwards and move forward we've got to be forward facing look forward facing move that way move in that direction so he says don't look backwards stay forwards look ahead be continuous in what you're doing press on press on look at your neighbor say press on And you know, the thing that was interesting, and, and this will like weed out some religion in you if you've ever looked at this. Jesus always challenged people in the area that something was rooted in them. Because you know the, the, the scripture where Jesus uh, looked at the, um, the rich ruler, the rich man, and he said, go and sell everything you have and then you can, you can be my, my disciple, you can follow me. 
then you'll be like in the kingdom of God. But he, he was talking to him about money. He was, because he knew that this guy had a real issue of money. Because what did it say? The guy walked away from him. He walked away from God because he had great wealth. And he didn't want to give it up. But you know what he said to another guy? He says the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Because the guy was like, Jesus, I'll be your disciple. He says, I don't have anywhere to lay my head. He's saying, I don't have the comforts of going back home to an, a, a home every single night. I am on the road. I travel. I, I, it, I'm not saying that Jesus was what never uh, had a place to stay, but he did have to stay on the road. He didn't have the, the comfort of just being rooted in one spot. He's like, I don't have a place to lay my head at night. I have to live by faith. I have to go out and I have to figure out every single day and pray to God for where I'm going to stay. I have to ask the Lord to, to take care of every single day of my journey. I, I have to practice and exercise my faith every day. I don't just get to lock up the shop and then go home and not have to exercise my faith of where I'm going to be that night. My faith level is a different level. And he's telling him that. I don't have anywhere to lay my head. Well, guess what? That guy had a different root issue. 